This podcast is made possible by McDSP, makers of the award-winning APB16 and APB8 hardware and professional audio plugins. Learn more at mcdsp.com. Hey, it's Larry Crane. Welcome to the Tape Op Podcast. For this episode, we are joined by Toronto's Always and producer-mixer Sean Everett to chat about crafting their latest release, Blue Rev, a project that spanned months of home recordings in Canada, sessions with Sean in Los Angeles, file-sharing snafus, and more. Enjoy. We can start with Adam as well and, um, and then bring him in. Bring him in. Are you guys in your uh, your own space? You have a your studio there. This is the basement of the apartment we've rented for the last twelve years. Yeah, um, but yeah, this is kind of where we jam a bit. Um, Molly and I with drum machines mainly. Uh, we have another little shed that uh, we also rent, uh, which is where we do the loud stuff. Um, but uh, I think Owen Pallet used to rent that same spot, but um, it's they're very humble in scope. Um, we've got our 388 here, but uh, might move it to the shed pretty soon. Yeah, no, so are you guys recording, um, doing pre, like pre-production and just demos there, and then kind of stepping out and re um, reimagining things in the studio uh, as a whole? I I know that that's not the case for the whole record. Yeah, we do, we do, you know, it's a sort of continuous flow with the tracking, like what uh, is a demo and, you know, the continuum isn't as delineated as it once was because, you know, once you start getting a preamp or two, you can start to keep stuff um, and the bones of the demos become the songs, like the arrangements, like nine times out of ten are there already rare we have to change tempo or anything like that or um but uh yeah we just we've gotten somewhat competent at tracking no you never know you play it one time and it never feels the same again and that's what it what it is whether or not it's great or were recorded well or not i mean sometimes it does doesn't even matter it's just sort of the feeling of it is there and totally and uh our uh, ineptitude also works against us in that uh, scenario as well, because if we do stumble on something, a better competent engineer could probably get back there or at least kind of close. But um, we uh, we're just banging rocks together, <laughs> you know, trying to make fire. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like sometimes that, that, uh, naivety of in the recording space i mean we, we're so caught up in this you know so much focus is put on the on the this technical aspect of of making music and <clears throat> i feel like it's a lot of it is what's ignored is that so much music is made and that has been sort of revered and loved and and endured was made <laughs> you know 
with either by people that didn't really know what they were doing or be with, you know, sort of quote subpar non, you know, super high end gear or guitars or, you know, cheap amps, cheap microphones. I mean, I can think Absolutely. of a hundred examples yeah. of, of things that just, it just doesn't matter as long as the sort of emotional content is there, you know? It's not true. People will, uh, cast aside fidelity for good ideas you know or like overlook the the lackluster <laughs> you know quality of something if if it's a good song i think i mean i do all the stuff i listen to sounds horrible <laughs> for ex for example i don't know like i mean if i were to listen to like a cleaners from venus song and I actually thought about the way it sounded. It would probably be really distracting, but the melodies and the ideas behind it are just, they hypnotize me and I don't think about it. Uh, and sometimes you just notice when, when something comes on afterwards, that's a really modern recording or something that that is just sort of flawless technically, but... You know, I I really don't notice otherwise when things are crunchy or. Yeah, yeah, there's, I don't know, it, it reads as authenticity a lot of the times, I guess, if you hear um, something that's like visibly or uh, audibly weathered and uh, sort of amateur sounding. The, uh, and what you lose in technical, you know, the frequency spectrum, I guess, you gain in like in that you know realness i guess uh you know i i like pristine sounded stuff as much as anyone too like uh the free design or something mind you that was pristine in 65 or something so probably you know definitely mid five by today's standards but um yeah like dolly mixture those it's tough to tell what's a demo, what's a real song with those guys. Um, uh, yeah, like our Stevie Moore, um, just kind of like super, um, lots of loads of artifacts and, and tape. And that's kind of the point, but also, you know, all those people had to work with and uh, it's, it's, it ends up better for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's something to that. You, you mentioned R. Stevie Moore. I, there's a lot of records um, that have this real homemade bedroom quality to them that feel so much more intimate and personal. And, um, they, you know, like they had the freedom to be themselves um, without somebody looking over their shoulder or through a piece of glass or, or criticizing or there he is. Hello. John. Good morning. I'm, not, not, I, not, there's I'm so I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, it's okay. And and not only did you get a mic, but you you put up a 87 or a 67. So that's thank you. Yeah, we got we yeah we got full blast mics now. Yeah, we're good. You guys so, are gonna you're gonna have to um, swap your mics out because this is you know the <laughs> blowing us away. Brought a bazooka to a knife fight. So so sorry so sorry I'm late I'm uh, my first, my daughter's first day of school and I, I woke up at seven thirty but I went to bed at four thirty so I was like uh, 
You're trash. In nap, nap city at the moment. It's all, it's all, yeah. <laughs> it's all working. Um, um, we were just talking about, and we can, we'll, we can pivot from here, but we, we were just, you, you dropped in on a comp, parachuted it in on a conversation about just the virtues of, uh, capturing emotional content rather than having everything be hi-fi and, and that. Oh, sweet. That was not in relationship to Blue Rev or the record that, that you you guys made. Um, although there there are some qualities to this record that are very like the first thing that I thought of when I put your record on was it reminded me of records that I loved from like Ride and the Catherine Wheel and Lush and like a just a sort of a different era. This was like a little bit washy, a little bit, sh- you know, shimmery, um, and just great melodies. And, um, I-, I felt like it was all those things from those records of, of a little bit of a different era, to be honest, that I, that I really loved. And it seems like this has a little bit of a backstory in terms of the, before you actually got into the studio together to make this record with Sean and, um, that included the pandemic in that, in that, uh, in the mix and of that timeline. So, um, you know, either of you care to kind of just give the backstory and the setup to getting to where you guys made this record together. I guess like, yeah, we're always writing and demoing around the clock. Um, and there were a lot of curveballs. We did st- start to do record the record and then the pandemic happened. So we were, you know, sprinting through the airport, trying to get back to Canada. Yeah, we were in Seattle when it went down, when we had to get out of Dodge, uh, and we had time booked at Sunset Sound. Um, but uh, we had to kibosh that the day after the NBA canceled its uh, events. Yeah. if um, I don't know. If, if it didn't happen, I feel like we wouldn't have had this time with Sean. And, like, we were pretty surprised when you agreed to work with us <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I saw right as you said that i dropped my phone um and so all of you came crashing down <laughs> you know, i i mean i was surprised i was surprised you asked me my uh, actually <laughs> i was like hell yeah always exactly what i want to be doing amazing <laughs> i mean do you regret it though not at all that was like <laughs> One of the best experiences ever. Well, how did so, you guys come amazing. together? Um, we have a, like a basically a phone call where we all talked for an hour. Oh, yeah. Yes, we talked about the Moffats and yeah. <laughs> other obscure '90s Canadian. Um, it was it was cool because like I've been now living in the states for um, like 18 years, um, and um, I didn't realize how. Um, how thirsty I was to like talk to um, some Canadians that I grew up in like a, in a quasi similar era as me and just be able to talk about um, like pop cultural references that like nobody here knows about. Um, you know, I, I, I can't really bring up um, I mother earth with my wife um, and she doesn't really get the reference point. So I went, as soon as I was talking to them, I was like, this is like amazing vibe to be able to talk to people about this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I also, I also, I also have loved their band um, since they came out. So, I mean, there was a, a double doozy. 
What attracted you to working with Sean or wanting to reach out to him? Well, Sean has such an eclectic resume. Like you've done, I feel like everything, but you know, from huge pop to like war on drugs, which is really almost like experimental in a way to me, like the way some of that stuff is recorded and mixed together and all the drum machine stuff on, on those recordings, I thought were, it was, it was so cool. Um, and, and also I just feel like you have such a great grasp of expanding soundscapes. If that Thanks, makes sense. Molly. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Casey Musgraves record that, that mix as well was pretty wild. Um, was it Golden Hour? Is that the record? Yeah. Yeah. That sounded immaculate. That, and, that wow. small record. <laughs> well, well, thanks for hiring me, guys. It was the time of my life. We did. I think our previous manager, we asked him if we could work with you on our second record. Um, but uh, I think we got shunted um, elsewhere. Um, oh. Oswell. <laughs> Gossip. <laughs> I don't know where the shunt came from. wasn't wasn't my shunt. <laughs> Not my shunt. <laughs> so you ended up recording this record down in Los Angeles, correct? Yeah, and and we brought everything that we had done previous to getting there. So it was like a gigantic stew of ideas and recordings that I, you know, yeah, you just kept morphing over time. And uh, yeah, a lot of the live off the floor stuff is from Sean's warehouse. Yeah, we were chomping at the bit and Sheridan and Abby couldn't come to Canada legally at the point we wanted to record. So we did some tracking with Chris Dadge, uh, who has drummed on our other two records. He's from Calgary, um, like Sean. And um so we recorded at Canterbury Studios in uh, downtown Toronto. And uh, that was with our ex-manager, Robbie Lackritz. Uh, Love and, Robbie. Yeah, great great guy. Um, and uh, then we went to the Bath House, which is the Tragically Hip, another CanCon heavy. Um, it's their, their studio that they run in Kingston, Ontario. So we had a, a few you know, bones to draw upon in addition to what we had recorded in the basement and, and the shed. We went down to LA. I believe some of what I read, but I read that you guys had like basically set up and played this thing live. It, what it said was you played this record back to back twice or something like that. And how did that work with, you know, your existing, you know, frameworks? John, do you want to describe where this idea came from and how it was? Well, I, they, I yeah, everything in. <laughs> they were here, um, and uh, I I can't remember. Did I? Th- I can't remember. People had to leave. Um, I think the two the two of you were were were, were good, um, but we didn't have much time with the full band. Um, so uh, uh, I was a little bit uh, panicking because I needed to get as much material as I possibly could in the amount of time that we had to um, record. Um, and so, um, I was just trying to think of how to like rapid fire, get information. Um, and, um, they had all the demos. Um, so, um, 
I just took all the demos and made um, basically like stems of everything that they had in their um, demos. And then, um, so, and then what I did was I had like, I can't remember, maybe five stems per song. Um, and I just put them all in, in like the same um, Pro Tools session. Um, and so, and then with their like beep, actually like click, a click was part of the um, stem, I think. And so then I just put them all in the same Pro Tools session. And, and so it was like almost like you could like listen to the whole album in a row of stems. Um, and then I just fired those out into headphone sense. So they had, um, so everybody had like the ability to mix their own version of the demo. And then um, by doing it that way, it was like, um, it was just like I was piping down the stems to everybody in like real time and only putting like a small amount of space between each song. And then that way, you know how like if if someone if people are you know rehearsing, inevitably there's going to be like a conversation or like there's just going to be something happen, which is all like going to just eat up precious time. Um, you know, someone might like flub a note or something like that. There'd be like a conversation about it, and I was like, I don't think we can have a conversation about it right now. We need to like go. And so like by just firing down these stems, like there was like it was like a it was like a freight train, and there was like no stopping it. Like there was no you know no matter what was going on, the next click was going to start. And so um, that way we were able to like, just get um, lots of information really quickly. Um, but the other thing that was kind of cool um, is that after um, I can't, I don't think it was exactly two takes. There was maybe like three or maybe four, but um, there, the, I was able to change the, the miking situation um, between each um, performance, um, which was also kind of cool because um you could generate like different sonic information at the same time. And so um, when uh, all the performances had been captured, um, not only like, did you have like different performance information, which is like really exciting because it was almost like you're grabbing it from like a live show where people were kind of uh, on edge, but also there was different sonic information between each, each of the takes because of, um, you know, just by the nature of recording it differently each one. So you could kind of blend different sonic information with each, you know, with, with the itself. Yeah, we thematically could like tailor the sets to like, okay, guys, this is the quiet set. So share yeah. the, grab the chopsticks and uh, do your thing. And, <laughs> or we would, you know, um, say, okay, we want to try mucking around with very speed. So let's drop the pitch and tempo of this song by you know what x amount and then with the intent of speeding it back up to get that glassy lindsey buckingham sort of effect mm -hmm. later on um so in the set there'd be two or three like sludgy sort of takes of the same songs um and that all got put in the cauldron by sean and he would <laughs> slap his witch's hat on and get stirring uh well it was it was it was cool too because it was also already already tied into like the information that they'd already recorded they had all this cool stuff in the you know recordings that they already made so it was already you know being played with that it was just like it, you, there was like a lot of options when that was all recorded because you know you had um the it, basically i just took all of the takes of every song and i just put them all in the same session on top of each other so you could mute in and out of different takes of guitars and sounds and stuff like that so it was just this huge wall of information and you could use pieces of of each you know whatever you wanted from from it it was i, I was like really excited i'd never actually done that with anybody because my, most of the time people can't play their albums but um so that that was like a bonus i when they told me that they could play the album i was like are you serious 
I mean, I'm not used to a band being able to play their album. I mean, most of the time people come in and they, you know, are like, I have like a sliver of a melody. <laughs> they can't like just rip their album. You know, that was like, I was blown, blew my mind. <laughs> was, was there anything specific that you did in terms of, of the setup? I mean, I know uh, what I know about you, Sean, um, not only because we've interviewed you before, but, you know, Jimmy, one of the things I just heard um, Alex say was, you know, you get the chopsticks out. I know that you create crazy kits and like, you know, you're, you're, you're creating a world for people to sort of exist within. I mean, I didn't, I definitely each, each recording had a different kind of unique um, sonic vibe. There, there was, I think a version that was maybe all contact mics where the, like the whole kit was um, contact mics. Um, yeah. Cause I did have like a kind of uh, like a kind of love affair with this um, hi hat contact mic that maybe, I alone love. <laughs> it was like we all have those like on this record. I think <laughs> it like, uh, Yeah, static. <laughs> um, yeah, it was like my uh, yeah. I was I had I had an affection for this one sound. Um, 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 those but, were great. Those uh, Zeppelin contact mics. That uh, yeah, yeah, they were awesome. Yeah, they worked out. Definitely, like with someone like like Nate Smith. I mean, with, with like a recording with him. Um, there's like um you know the albums that i've done with him i have him for like longer periods of time than like you know a few days so it you know it, with that amount of time you can like actually like make a whole drum kit for one song um and um yeah i mean there is like a bit of a sadistic part of me where it's like you when you have like this drummer that's like one of the best of all time and like you know giving him like a like this like this like something from the moma to play on you know it's just like <laughs> it's like a kind of secretly funny to me a little bit you know just like it's not, secret. it's not secret anymore <laughs> i just think it's kind of funny there's i recorded something with him not that long ago and um I, my dad's a drummer and he loves like drum tones and he loves like talking about drum drums and stuff and you know he like really has like a great knowledge of that and I was playing this recording for him and he was like, what is that drum kit? You know? And I was like, it's trash. And like, it was like just all trash. Like everything in the drum kit was trash. Like I just went to the dumpster and it was just trash, like all trash cans and tr just total trash. And he was like, I think he was disturbed, but like also like also saddened by like that, like people were buying like $10,000 snare drums and like we were getting a cool sound out of just total trash. <laughs> it was, it was yeah. a nate smith one yeah um in any case um uh i tried to i tried to do that as much as possible during that like super super recording but i mean it just it, we're that was definitely like flying by the um seat of my pants and i mean everybody's pants really because it was like you know basically a, li a live show yeah. yeah and also like we're never really in a comfort zone we're all fairly neurotic so i feel like it was pretty maybe even unintentionally intuitive to do that to us to put all of the songs back to back with like 15 seconds in between we had no time to be nervous or to overthink anything i, th I think mm -hmm. it was like a really cool mental exercise for all of the freaks in our band who just like psych each other out yeah, we're, everywhere we go, it, you know? we're more comfortable when we're uncomfortable, um, artificially, I guess. 
Yeah, I love that concept. I mean, you just just you got to just keep going, you know. Yeah, and also if you're doing like you know the the very speed thing, like you're a drummer, you can attempt all these fills that you wouldn't at 175 BPM necessarily, or like, and that goes for guitar playing too. You know, if it's a kind of ramshackle tune that's like you know firing on all cylinders, if all of a sudden it's at you know 20 BPM slower, you can like pull off some uh, pretty pretty hot lines. Sean, were were there, and you touched on a little bit of this, but were there, you know, inherent, what were the inherent challenges of trying to get this done? Um, I mean, normally the challenges would be just to get like a band to be able to do it. You know, I mean, most people would say that this is a bad idea. I've actually, um, like brought this up a few times since then. Cause I was like, this was so sick. Like, I want to try this again. And like, I've like just mentioned it to other people and they were like, Oh no, no, like, no, (laughs) like it's like people are very uncomfortable with the concept. Um, um, and so like, it was pretty amazing that they were, you know, you know, willing participants of, of doing it, you know? And, and I just think that like, I mean, it, it's, it was maybe mildly technically challenging just to figure out like, how to get, you know, it was like going to tape and different, uh, we were doing songs at the, you know, at, you know, Alec mentioned the different like tape speeds and like, what was it, you know, different like t- tempo, like the songs were, you know, some, some were slower, just figuring out that math and all, you know, all that stuff, you know, just, and like getting it all in, in line so that there was the right amount of spacing in between each song so that like they had a second to, you know, grab a drink, but like not, you know, not enough to have a conversation, you know, all those kind of things. But then I just thought that like when, we were listening back to the takes afterwards. There was just like such a kind of raw edge to it. And like, it was just a power and like an excitement and like, and the drums fills, even in the, just the normal tempos were just like, I think a little bit more unhinged in a way that I was like really excited about. Um, I just thought it sounded so sick, you know? Cause like if someone's doing a drum take, generally they feel like their eye, all eyes are on them. And like, I mean, just coming from my own perspective of having done, you know, drum takes in studios before, it's, you know, stressful. Um, and I think maybe I've been like, whenever I was doing that, I was definitely like a, a little bit more conservative about what I, what I play. Um, so I just definitely thought that the energy was really cool. Yeah. Sheridan ripped. Yeah. Sheridan was blowing my mind. Like she was doing the sickest fills when it came time to mix this what was that process like well i mean there was a lot of other stuff that happened after the those recordings like um we did a comp of all those things you know and started to get a framework of of something and then you know these guys would take the sessions to toronto and they would work on those and you know they'd switch out parts from other you know performances as well and then they would send them um back back to me there was also like some kind of haunting of an audiophile haunting for some reason uh, I've never had a, a, a project before where there's just migrating audio files as much as um, I don't know what was going on. There was a ghost that was like keeping audio files in their purse. Um, every time I was like, send a, a session, I'd be like, all right, we got it this time. And it'd be like other oh, seven audio files. I'm like, God damn it. Where are they? Yeah. I'd have to write back. <laughs> uh, Pro Tools 
Charles wants a Macintosh HD slash snares. <laughs> I think that's in your parent. Yeah. No matter how long we would work on the album, there would still be another file that would somehow migrate. But um, yeah, they would work on it. Then they would send it back to me and then we'd play around and then they would come back here. And then, you know, they would, you know, it was just like, there was a, there was like a long kind of process of kind of whittling it down. Um, and then um, eventually, then then that was eventually mixed <laughs> yeah in two days <laughs> yeah we all nighted yeah. um that was uh, there's a long enough time has yeah. gone by where i don't need to curl up into the fetal position <laughs> think about those days that we spent together yeah yeah it was carrie's first all-nighter all she she had never stayed up all night before or keep oh really and, uh, yeah and uh we did it. <laughs> so you mix this record in two days. The first version of it. Yeah. We tweaked a bit. We tweaked eventually, but uh, but um we basically got the foundation down in two days. Um yeah. We had a gun to our heads that we had to get it done. So it was uh yeah, it was it was majorly intense. That we later found out was a completely arbitrary gun. <laughs> 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 Who's gun? Uh, um, wasn't my gun. Um, no. no, I think they were just trying to submit the the mixes for vinyl because you know if you're not in a major label, you're looking at like at least eight months or whatever it is now. It's yeah, maybe you, it's gotten better, but um, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think so. It's it's yeah. so competitive, and uh, we had really wanted something to come out before 2023, and that was that was the the stretch of time where we had to do it so we just kind of made it work yeah there was tears some there's <laughs> some artists yeah we break up every time we mix uh every record <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> yeah um but yeah we, we, we a lot of artists and bands don't necessarily need wax the day the record comes out um or, or some anyway seem to exist with like oh yeah it'll be out in six months or whatever but we couldn't really fathom that we're very uh luddites very much so in that in that world i guess um but yeah it was a it was a protracted process for sure but we blazed through it as best we could um there were certain songs where we'd be in the mixing stage and we'd be like this needs to be a semitone lower and slower you know, so we would very speed that down and then that would unlock a completely new bridge. You know, um, one of the uh, things we stumbled onto on this record um, in the DAW realm was uh, the value of loop mode. Um, Ableton's great for that. Um, and Pro Tools, you can, you can work within that capacity too. But I just found when we would get the recordings back to Toronto. If you kept it on loop mode and we're soloing through tracks, invariably I'd find beautiful like uh reinterpretations of the existing songs that could then become an intro or an outro or a bridge or could be tracked on top of and it just kind of expanded the scope and allowed for a little more um variation and uh you could kind of take a hidden layer that existed and was cooking in there, but make it the centerpiece um, 
and uh, yeah, that's one way technology served us anyway. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I, and I think that that's you hear stories about people getting mixes back from from you know an outside mixer that wasn't involved in the project, and they've they've amplified something that was kind of a maybe even considered a secondary or tertiary part, you know, and and uh, made it made it this made it the centerpiece of the song, you know, and you're like, wow, that's you know. It's what I imagine DJs do. I have no idea, but um, yeah, you, you just like take what sparks your interest and run with it. Yeah. Well, with our last little bit of time, um, uh, are you guys up for just talking about a few of the songs that we can uh, just in a little more in depth? I mean, you, um, you know, easy on your own. The first thing that it brought to my mind was, you know, it felt like bits of Loveless from My Bloody Valentine. It just had that that this undulating warped you know sort of detuned feeling there's a lot of creative sort of work went into making it interesting in the in interior of these songs you know Shields was the uh, limitations he put on his stuff. That's Mr. My Bloody Valentine. Yep. Uh, but um, like, you know, people say shoegaze and for most people that who are familiar with it, like think that means, oh, pedals, anything goes, reverbs, you know, but uh, My Bloody Valentine were way more focused than that. Like, yeah, they used reverse reverb, uh, which we did on that song, the SPX 90. Um, but, you know, for the most part, it's like he he would, you know, not, it was more about the constrictions, like, okay, no chorus, no reverb, maybe no compression, like all these uh, things. So that informed like broadly um, our approach on that song. But um, uh, yeah, it it went through some permutations as well. That was that was the oldest song, right, Mom? Yeah, I usually feel like the older songs are the hardest to get on the record, and I I don't know if that's because you're you're just like looking for that wow moment, and it's harder to chase, or you're it's harder to impress you because it's been around for so long, or you're close-minded. I don't know what it is, but at least I mean, even in the early days with recording. With Sean, I feel like we did one early version of Easy on Your Own, and all the big moments uh, were completely there. Like, just your initial yeah, draft it, of the song, it was, like, so inspiring. And especially, like, coming through your NS10s, everything just sounds incredible. And then, you know, the goal is trying to make it 
everything sound like NFTs after that? <laughs> we get home and be like, how do we make it sound like Sean's speakers? Yeah, the chorus. Yeah. Well, most most people make fun of me when they come in here and see NFTs. <laughs> uh, yeah. But we, like, that's it? That's it? That's all you got in there? <laughs> <laughs> it was a shock to us when we came in too, but uh, we immediately realized why when we pulled our demos up and they sounded quite harsh on the NS10s. But, um, you know, combining them with the sub is 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 a great, great move. And we've since got our own, our, our own pair. Um, I think we got you on the m50 headphones and you got us on the ns oh yeah they, they definitely got me on those um that was a cool session though we i think we pitch bent the whole master track right before the chorus hits like, oh yeah in pro tools like dipped it um which is probably sacrilege but uh it worked absolutely yeah. not <laughs> <laughs> um you know i well, after the earthquake is obviously like this great. I mean, I it's become my my favorite song recently. Just I just I just love it. It makes me feel so good when I hear this song, and it's got such great energy and and sort of lovely melancholy. Um, I would love to just hear about you know the writing and recording of that song and sort of its creation and all the way through a little bit, but. What I what I think is really cool about this record is the marriage of the lyrics and the sentiment of the lyrics with the tone, and I feel like the tone of the record and the tone, the instruments, like it 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 gives life to the words in a way that I that I really love. You know, there's lots of records that do that, but but there are lots of records that don't. So I think that there's there's something magical about that marriage and the spirit of tone to sentiment in terms of like the message. Um, put a feeling to the to the words like in in terms of like how it resonates with your body you know yeah i mean i i feel like i have such a like ringing bell voice that we spend a lot of time just trying to even balance that out so a lot of the time i try to make the words not so sweet or you know like i love the balance of alex really rough sounding distorted guitar and just trying to make it and then making it all occupy the same <laughs> world is is kind of hard and even just all of the songs are so different on the record like putting them all in one place was hard and after the earthquake was one of the, i think the stronger demos going into the recording process and um and one of the hardest lyrically to puzzle together but it also because of its strength, I think in the final stretch, everything else had sort of risen above it because it was so self-contained from the start that it took a little while to chisel that one out into making it shine the way that it kind of needed to. Yeah, it, it's Earthquake sounded like, a, a well, it was a road song for me and, and road songs are usually pretty American feeling just because of the robust interstate system or something. I don't know, or Kerouac or what it is, but it felt like a very, our most American song. So uh, we really tried to go full murmur reckoning. Yes. 
also trying to do like a little black and white DBs. Yeah, yeah. All IRS records, like Jersey Jungle, sort of all East Coast stuff. Uh, and we tried to hit that mark and, and hopefully we got somewhere close. I, I, uh, Sean and I were nerding over this um, first video from the first spring break in Daytona where REM plays. And uh, like you can see all kids going nuts. Uh, and they uh, there's like 800 views on it, but um, all those kids go back to their college and uh, request REM and College Rock is born. It, it's just a nice like formative. It's thing. crazy the year that it's from because it you know it's like so ahead of its time. It's insane. Yeah, they're doing a, a three song showcase on the beach, and it's like uh, Radio Free Europe and, and like maybe Wolves and one other tune is gardening at night i'm not sure but it, it just smokes and uh yeah yeah that's an amazing story I, I talked to mitch easter about recording radio free europe um this that you sort of the the first version of that that song in his garage and it, it's just such a cool story and it's like again there's just tons of limitations around what what they had to make the record with and um yeah, it's a great reference for the song. I, I didn't that that didn't come to my mind, but now that you say that, um, he used the prime time, didn't he? The prime time delay or something on that, on the thing that sounds like the stick clicks. Yeah, the very start of uh, Radio Free Europe. Yeah, I yeah. think which Sean had, and I think we we might have used. That oh yeah, we, yeah, I think we did. It's crazy that the the limitations that they were faced with um and that they probably had anxiety about when they put out that album like now becomes like the sound of it and and like part of the beauty and, and the nostalgia of it does you know yeah it's like those all those things that you think are problems end up being like the hallmark of why it's like cool <laughs> i think that's true with a lot of classic like kind yeah. of seminal recordings you know yeah yeah any any songs for you guys as we get into our last minutes of of uh that kind of have you know special memories of of tracking or recording or the transformation of the song pressed which is we were trying to do basically uh a smith's verse and an rem chorus <laughs> and then uh -huh. it sort of morphs into whatever it is by the end of the song basically our band but uh, I think what you did tonally with that song, the transformation was very cool. Um, I just feel like you understood exactly how to make things sound like. The well, yeah, we were kind of going for, you know, well, they were going kind of going for the, the like a, a Smith's r reference. I don't, I don't know if I initially realized that when we first started recording it, but um, um, when they kind of prompted that, um, I, I became like very excited about it and like trying some different kind of um, just experiments to get it like kind of, you know, as, as close as, as we could to kind of like that sonic footprint. Um, and um, I was kind of having the time of my life really. Cause um, I've, I've had these kind of ideas of like how to, you know, get something kind of close to um, a, a previous recording from before and, and um it was just like going down that wormhole to try to like you know a b different tones and like the kick drum and, snare, and like what what is happening on the snare drum in these kind of recordings to like make it feel a certain way all these like kind of little production tricks like getting them like all the different little things it's like for me that's like that's like heaven um kind of play, playing with that is like the, one of the most 
one of the most fun things that I could possibly imagine. It's like kind of because if you, if you kind of get it in that wheelhouse, then all of a sudden you kind of have a thing, and from there you can kind of expand off of it. Um, but it's like a really fun kind of. Um, I think it's like a good experiment for anyone who's recording to 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 just be like, um, how you know, let's model it after this you know other recording and like just get as close as you can, and then like that will lead you into a, like a situation that maybe you didn't even realize that you'd find yourself in, you know, and it just like, you kind of get something out of it. that's completely different than what you would personally do. And I'm always looking to do that where like anything that will get me away from my own brain. Cause I feel like I'll just do the same thing over and over again, you know, cause you have a th- certain way that you like to hear things, but that's not the way that I want to hear things. I want to, you know, I want people to, you know, fuck with me and like, you know, make me, push me in different areas that, you know, I think that's the, one of the most fun things. Um, so yeah, I feel like one of the best things to do in recording is like to try to model it after something else. Cause it will lead you in like a completely different area that and a cool thing. truly embodying somebody else's output it's usually some skewed perception of what you think you are and what what you think something else is every time i try to really draw from something directly it never turns out that way yeah, yeah like you too thought they were they were trying to sound like you know the joy division and they, right yeah like completely like missed the mark and they in such like a like a brilliant way like you know they they failed upwards yeah i mean it would be impossible right you know, yeah. It's, yeah yeah that that's a it's, no it's a really good it's a really good point i i love the i love the idea of because you know we're all just filtered or lenses you know it's always going to be you're, you're not them so it can't be that <laughs> it's yeah. you know and uh yeah. and just like you guys know anytime you bring some something new into your band or a different person it it changes the the whole composition of the, the molecules in the room you know and so it's always going to be different and it, it's part of the the magic of bringing the right people together you know but yeah you get really close if you got the smith stems and uh fab Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> get pretty close um, yeah. taking the lid off the cauldron yeah. <laughs> uh, any any final any final thoughts other than um i'm pretty sure that you know sh- that sean's mic's just not even plugged in you didn't plug that thing in did you uh, it's been broken for like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> is that the one from the guy across the street? We used yeah, the... it, it is the That's... one from the guy across the street. You broke John Lennon's mic? Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> no, I didn't buy it. I just happened to be, um, it'd be a, happened to be on loan at the moment. 
I'm I'm literally doing a podcast. I <laughs> just John Lennon's microphone. <laughs> just the best, be- the best for you. Speaking of speaking of it, actually, one day someone was like, um, just thinking of John Lennon. There, someone was like, "Can you make this song sound like Imagine?" Um, and I did this mix for them, and I and I like personally, I fucking nailed that shit. Like it was like you could a b it, and it sounded like the same session. Like I was like, "This is nailed." And um, I sent it to them and I never heard from them ever again. And I was like, and, and, and I was like, and I was like, I don't think they realize what, what it actually sounds like, you know, because sometimes people will be like, Oh, we want it to sound like this. And I'm like, have you listened to it? You know, like I, years ago, maybe like 15 years ago, someone was like, let's do like a thing that sounds like the Smiths. And I really went for it. And they were also like really disturbed by it. I mean, I feel like these guys though, always, I mean, when they say they want it to sound like something, they know what that sounds like, you know, like you guys have actually investigated it, you know? Yeah. Um, but also all the things that you find fun are the things that people are super annoyed by us about. Like, Oh yeah. <laughs> any type of puzzle you're so excited by. <laughs> yeah. We drive everyone else crazy except for you. And I know we do drive you a little bit crazy. N- no. Cause I, I, I mean, I thought, it, I thought it was like such a, like it, I think it's such a joy when you find someone that is willing to go down those roads with you, you know? And like, I feel like in my life, I'm always just looking for any creative partner that will nerd out and do cool stuff. You know what I mean? And sometimes people don't want to, you know, they they don't want to do that. And like, that's like not part of the process for them, you know? And so like, it's always like a little bit of a struggle when, when like, for me, like that's one of the most fun things is the exploratory thing. And, and like, you know, sometimes they'd apologize like, oh, it's, you know, I'm sorry that we're like going down all these like wormholes. I'm like, absolutely not. Like, this is like uh, the pure joy. Like, I'm so glad I found people that want, you know, this out of, uh, out of an album, you know, the same way that, that I do. Like, I, like, I, I like really um, value those relationships when you can find people like that. Like, that's when I feel like I can fly, you know? Yeah. The best yeah. stuff. It's been really fun to talk to you both. All, all of you, not both. Two. I see. Two, I see two screens. Yeah. <laughs> all three of you. Yeah. Make sure that John Lennon Mike goes into a little magic velvet satchel of some sort. Yeah, plastic bag. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> see you later. All right. See you later. Thanks for listening. Find us online at tapeop.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time.